Hi, and welcome to Jam Sessions. My name is Daniel Roby. I'm CEO of ThinkJam. With me today, I've got Anna Heidecker, our fantastic Senior Account Director. And it's a great pleasure today to be speaking to John Cosley, Senior Director, Global Brand Marketing at Microsoft Advertising. I first met John almost 15 years ago when he was working at 20th Century Fox, and he has taken that experience in entertainment marketing and fostered an amazing career at Microsoft, which we're looking forward to hearing more about today. Hi, John. Hey, Daniel. Hi, Anna. Thanks so much for joining us on Jam Sessions. How, how are you getting on? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thank you. And it's such a pleasure to be here um, and uh, appreciate your time as well. I know we're all you know, feeling the crunch. And um, so excited to, to be here uh, for this uh, special podcast of yours. So John, I know you and Daniel go way back, um, but maybe we can kick off by you giving us the theatrical trailer version of your background and your current role at Microsoft. Yeah, how apropos. Uh, um, so uh, as Daniel mentioned, I am the kind of Senior Director of Global Brand Marketing uh, at Microsoft Advertising. And uh, in that role, I'm responsible for our brand identity, our storytelling, and our brand experience strategy, and also responsible for our industry engagement channels, um, things you're probably familiar with, such as working with our corporate PR teams, thinking about our social strategy, um, thinking about our influencer programs, our evangelism, and, and stuff like that. Um, we worked together when you were at Fox, and of course, when you were at Corvus. How did those businesses, which I guess, are, you know, they're entertainment, they have a, an entertainment skew, how did they inform you for how you approached more of a corporate tech, hardware, software marketing role? Yeah. So when I think about um, transferable skills between industries and uh, specifically transferable skills between entertainment and tech, I think there are kind of maybe three enduring skills that I developed earlier in my career, which have transcended almost any you know, role that I've been in, whether it's technology or creative services or entertainment. The first is around good storytelling. Whether you're in movie marketing or promoting a technology product, whether B2B or B2C, you know, good storytelling is engaging for people in any dimension. Um, in many ways, it's the original form of, of human history and how we passed knowledge along. And I think that in any mindset, people are compelled by good stories. And we think about that very intentionally, even when marketing technology products. Um, how do we pull people in with good storytelling that lead them into actions that we and they will ultimately believe will benefit them or their businesses? The second is around creativity. This is about, you know, how do we do something new, but in a different space? When I was in entertainment, there was always a desire to break through the mold in our creative and marketing execution to garner eyeballs in a very competitive space. And so marketing innovation in that sense was something we spent a lot of time on and, um, you know, dedicated a lot of energy behind that transcends in many ways, I think, into the B2B space and into the B2B space even in today's environment. 
the work from home, you know, due to COVID uh, for many people in many countries um, is leading to digital fatigue. It's leading to people spending more time online. It's leading to people having, um, we'll call it less definition between their work life and their home life. And so it's never been more important to think about how you can kind of break through the creative mold in a way that is in alignment with your brand. And so this idea of sort of doing something new to grab attention, understanding trends, of course, um, thinking about how the consumer or your customer's decision journey has changed. But this idea of being very creative in your execution was a very transferable skill for me. And then lastly, I'd say is around maintaining a growth mindset, um, very related to creativity, but not just in what you do, but how you do it. And so how do you think about teamwork? How do you think about working cross-functionally? How do you think about empowering individuals? Um, how do you think about doing things in ways that haven't been done before? This helps you build efficiency and effectiveness in what you're doing. Amazing. So how do you bring those elements, story, creative, and growth into the Microsoft level and also into the product level? Because, you know, you've got Bing, you've got Surface, you've got Windows, you've got all of your other products. How do you differentiate and what's, how do you prioritize between the, the, the two aspects? Yeah, so my scope is certainly around the Microsoft advertising um, brand related work. Um, for those that follow the ad industry, you may have noticed that we recently rebranded about a year ago where we used to be called Bing Ads. And moving from Bing Ads to Microsoft advertising was a very intentional move. Not only was there we'll call it product truth behind it in the sense that we were selling more than ads on Bing, but as a very intentional brand move in our ability to plug into the larger Microsoft brand. And there's a tremendous amount of energy and work going into the storytelling, the creativity, and the growth mindset behind it all at the Microsoft corporate brand level. We get a lot of, of benefit from that just based upon the perception of the Microsoft brand due to those investments um, that come from our corporate kind of brand marketing teams. For us in the ads kind of level, you know, there's definitely pros to that. We continue to benefit from perception of the larger company brand, as I had mentioned, um, you know, areas around trust and innovation and stuff like that. We benefit in terms of resources and support. So at the corporate brand level, as you would imagine, there's a lot of, you know, uh, team SharePoint sites with resources. There's armies of individuals that are helping us solve kind of strategic, you know, brand questions. We get clarity in terms of guidelines for almost everything that we want to do. And so it creates, we'll call it air cover for what we want to do. And then we benefit from resources and how we want to do that. You know, there are certainly cons as well, or challenges that we overcome in terms of uh, transition into the bigger corporate brand. Um, you know, non-standard executions can be a challenge as it often requires a lot of people and we have to break new ground, which can be, I guess, exciting or challenging, depending on how you look at it. 
brand executions can get disrupted due to other brand initiatives elsewhere in the company. As we think about doing something in Microsoft advertising, we could learn that, hey, there's a similar thing going on over here. Is there any kind of context for us to do something together? Or if not, then we need to make sure that we're creating clarity and definition between these initiatives, which can sometimes require some, uh, some rework, if you will. So I think the biggest challenge overall in terms of being, you know, we'll call it one product, you know, kind of a, a brand owner within a larger portfolio of brands that you had mentioned, one orchestration. Um, how do we orchestrate our messaging, our brand voice, our creative, our naming? Second is uh, systemic change um, is a very difficult. How do you rebrand an entire you know, population of, of solutions within a company and how do you orchestrate that? In some ways, triaging exceptions is easy in the fun part, as I mentioned. I now realize why I don't see you very much because you're so busy doing these yeah. <laughs> enormous changes. When we were doing film marketing, we were almost the polar opposite. We were, there was more risk, there was more creativity, there was more innovation, there was more disruption. Clearly, you're applying that to much of the work you're doing. But what are the pros and cons between some of the corporate restrictions that you've got today versus some of the maybe creative flexibility you had in the Ents world? Yeah, I'd hate to create any kind of a confusion that, you know, in a big kind of a corporate environment under a single brand like Microsoft, that it's full of challenge. And then, you know, in the film and entertainment industry, there is no challenge. I think that in the end, it's about super effective storytelling and wonderful customer experiences. And your brand acts as a blueprint for, you know, we'll call it the sandbox in which you can play in. But the sandbox in the sandbox, you can innovate in so many ways within that structure. And I think that whether you're talking about Microsoft as a corporate brand, Microsoft advertising as a product brand within the corporate brand, or you're talking about a film brand, it all is the same context. When a film comes to life, for example, when someone writes it and the marketing teams get together and think about, you know, hey, what is the, the value proposition here? In many ways, you are creating a brand structure. You don't want to deviate from that brand structure. And so it offers the same kind of guidelines for marketers to operate within. You know, I'll speak from experience in terms of working with Blue Sky and Ice Age. Mm -hmm. There was very strict brand guidelines in terms of what we could do with those characters, what kind of context they could show up in, you know, how we use them. And so as marketers, we had to think about, well, okay, how do we innovate then within that structure? The same applies as to whether or not you're working in a, you know, technology company, a finance company, a healthcare company, or otherwise. Kind of a segue, but on the same, some of those red threads you just mentioned, I mean, in terms of that corporate environment that you were talking about, storytelling, customer experience, I was just a couple of days ago enjoying watching episode one of Microsoft's new video series, The Download, um, which was largely centered on how companies are using human-centric design or marketing with purpose. 
So from your point of view, how does a kind of massive tech brand like Microsoft pivot from product centric to human centric? And maybe just have some examples, whether recent or where that you feel that Microsoft has done that best. Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Anna. I think that it's something that the technology industry and I think many other industries are, are dealing with now. And I think that um, COVID was actually an accelerant, you know, um, on how brands think about going to market. And so there was a, a tendency to be very um, product centric, as you had said, um, speak to the virtues of the product. But as you think about building brand, building emotional connections, it's very difficult to do that when someone is pitching you features and functionality. And so I think that many brands continue to think about how they not, um, we'll call it completely disrupt, you know, that product or kind of feature led marketing, especially when it comes to their direct response efforts. But there is clearly an awareness of how do we build that emotional connection? How do we create lifetime value with a customer? Um, and how do we have certainly, um, we'll say this trend was happening before um, COVID and some of a social disruption that has occurred in, in many countries, including the United States, but how do we have more of a values alignment with our customers? So... Going back a little bit to product, there's many players in the consumer market. Daniel just talked about Microsoft as an entity in those B2C and B2B businesses underneath. And really, I mean, we'd be amiss to not point out there's some iconic battlegrounds that some of the Microsoft products compete within. Um, and people feel quite passionately about whatever side of the fence that they're on, whether that is, you know, a Bing versus Google, Xbox versus PlayStation, Mac OS versus Windows, et cetera. And I'll kind of just jump ahead to, you know, you've owned that share. How do you, though, go about future-proofing, maintaining a post within these battlegrounds and really not be rendered kind of obsolete by challenger brands? Yeah, and so if I was to, to take that and kind of extrapolate it maybe more down into an advertising context, the industry that I spend most of my time focused on, you know, it's certainly Google Ads is that context for us. And so Microsoft Ads and Google. Google Ads sort of being the two, well, at least say um, uh, major players in the general kind of search space. As I think about some of the keys to our success in terms of how we've endured and we've continued to meet our growth, um, you know, uh, kind of forecasts and potential, there's a few things that we've continued to sort of remain focused on as our North Star. One is knowing what we do and do it well. As you think about Microsoft advertising, we're, I think, in, in our last financial reports, you know, in the seven plus billion dollar range. Google is a hundred billion dollar range advertising company. We're not going to be able to match them dollar for dollar and person for person within that context. So we really need to, or we have really needed to step back and say, hey, what is it that we do well? You know, what is the value proposition that we truly offer to advertisers and how do we make sure that we go big on that? The second I would say is perseverance. Um, it's knowing that, you know, when you do have that clarity on what you want to do and how you're going to do it, 
that you stick to that. There always is a tendency to get caught up in the moment of what any competitor is doing and to chase them on a tactical level. And so there's, um, you know, you have to be sort of very measured in your approach because that can be very disruptive to your resources and to your plans and to your focus. It's a marathon and not a sprint for sure. And I think the third piece is just know when to follow and know when to lead or differentiate, even small and small but meaningful things. And so as we think about our product roadmap, our experience roadmap, we think about, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of, you know, hey, Google made this move, customers love it. And they want us to do it. So let's give them that capability. Let's continue to make us, you know, a low level of effort and a high level of satisfaction for them. But there are things that we can do, um, big things and small things that differentiate us, you know, and that could be a, a new feature or capability that, uh, that in this case, Google ads doesn't have, or it could just be, Hey, Google went left and we went right because we had the benefit of, you know, they took first mover advantage and we had the benefit of, of hindsight and can watch a customer reaction to those moves and take a slightly different move that balances our goals and our customers' goals, you know, in a better way. And so, so understanding kind of where those points of differentiation are and, uh, and when to follow and when to lead. And so, I'd say those three things have kind of um, been keys to success for, for Microsoft advertising. But to your point, there's always a risk of a new player entering. And I think, again, it's evaluating that new player. It's understanding, again, what role do they play? And, you know, do we need to adapt our strategies? A great example of that is Amazon ads. Right. And so Amazon has built a significant business over 10 billion, I think now in a, in a matter of a few years and have seen tremendous momentum. And as we, you know, as they entered the stage and started gaining momentum, you know, we, we certainly took a step back and reevaluated, you know, what did we do well and do we need to adjust that? When do we follow and lead with them in play? And also we, we understood in far more dimensions, and this is something you know, that may not be true in every industry where customers have a this or that choice only, but we understood what role does Microsoft play versus being in the customer decision journey. And so uh, you know, what we found through a tremendous amount of research was that you know, consumers still start on general search engines. Many do, even when it comes to purchasing retail product. They might know, not know, for example, what they need before they actually, you know, need it. So they may be trying to think, hey, how do I solve this problem? And I need some help in understanding what the problem even is first before I know if there's a retail product that can help me. And they start with search engines in that context. And so as they're using Bing, they are exposed to, you know, ads from our partners for things that solve for some of these solutions. And these influence buyer behavior once they actually get to 
an Amazon or go direct to a retail to make. So even when there's, we'll call it disruption and new players, it's super critical to understand the context and the role that they play in the space and adjust your strategy accordingly. Slightly parallel question. There's tons of amazing insight that you're giving us um, and clearly talking about your part in the business, but a lot of your guidance and frameworks that you're talking about are general business frameworks. They're applicable to a giant like Microsoft and a small startup. Um, We think Jam's pivoting from service agency and now we're developing a tech stack and we're a startup and we're being creative and we're being agile and we're trying to know what we do well and know what we want to stick to but we we can also throw hundreds of features on a day if we wanted to because we're just figuring it out as we go how do you apply that entrepreneurial spirit startup mentality within your team and within your business to stay speedy, relevant, um, and agile? Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you, Daniel. I think that it is twofold. One is that there's a cultural element to it. So how do we foster an environment where people feel like they can bring great ideas to the table? You know, I think that fast, nimble innovation starts with great creative ideas. And so we invest a lot of time and energy in, uh, and a lot of kind of frankly discussion at the manager level of how we create this environment. Everything from, you know, how we recognize people, you know, whether that's through awards or just recognition in meetings to even recognizing failure. We have an award that we give every month for someone that tried something new and failed. It's actually a, a gold and, and faux jam encrusted plunger. Love that. So it's a bit of an honor to have this. It's a bit of an honor to say like, wow, hey, I tried something and you know what? It didn't work. And when someone is bestowed this, you know, this honorary award of the gold plunger, they stand up in front of the audience, you know, whether physically or virtually these days, and they share what that experience was. So that way we can all learn. But in many ways, we're promoting the, the innovative mindset. And so, so there's the culture part. And then there's an element of how we think about running um, our projects and initiatives. We always allocate some amount of budget for, for new innovation to make sure that we're being very intentional in how we're funding. And there's how we run our meetings around any given initiative. We tend to run, you know, a lot of kind of scrum meetings for big initiatives. And so having that agile kind of nimble approach to, if you want to call it project management or program management, uh, marketing program in this case, It brings in just a set of dynamic thinking into fostered by a a dynamic environment um, of running those meetings. So both cultural and and operational um, in how we run marketing seems to be at least the keys to our success in Microsoft advertising. I mean, I kind of have a, a similar question or really just kind of pointing out a little bit of an elephant in the room with the time and place that we live in. 
Um, and that was kind of coming another inspired by a McKinsey quarterly interview. It was that quote that said, if your company hasn't been on the receiving end of a Twitter storm, then don't worry, it soon will be. And kind of going back to motivating your employees to kind of unleash that creative potential and you know break that mold. You talked about going left while they're going right. Um, and companies love to zig while the other is zagging. But how do you kind of protect against or what are the internal conversations about protecting yourself from kind of a climate of high and one wrong move being um, so liable to, to backfire on you? How do you protect yourself and your team against that while still motivating them to hold to that creativity level you're looking for? I think that's nicely put in that, uh, you know, it's not it's not if it's when. And I'd say Microsoft, is, as well as any major tech company, has had their, um, you know, their sets of experiences in that. So no one is, is immune to it or, um, uh, you know, everyone is prone to it in some degree. And we even at the Microsoft advertising level have been, have been subject to that. I think that what has helped us to endure through those times is probably a few things. One is, you know, are we staying true to our values in how we're going to market and executing? And I think that if we can always look back and say, hey, we kind of stuck to our values in this, then you really have no regrets. Two, it's, um, you know, always having a, a humbling approach to how you respond to things. Feedback is a gift. And so, you know, when, um, when you get a level of feedback, thinking about how you respond to that, especially in a, in a courtroom of public pundits, we always give a, a deep level of consideration to how we respond, not just respond to respond. And third, I think there's always maintaining, you know, um, perspective. And so in the moment, something kind of may feel hot, but on the grand scheme of things, three days later, everyone will have forgotten and moved on. And so how do you kind of really maintain that perspective and understand, hey, this is a learning lesson and let's just, you know, evaluate what went wrong here and, and how what might we, of course, corrected it for the future versus, hey, I really need to kind of mobilize an entire army and put a ton of resources into how we may respond to something. Understanding that pebble from Boulder, if you will, or mountain from Molehill, um, I think really helps to maintain perspective and the teams appreciate that perspective. They appreciate when they feel understood. Um, they appreciate when they are able to share in a transparent way, hey, here's what's going on and here was my rationale for this. And, you know, as a manager or as a leader in, in the business, to be able to provide that level of perspective and say, no, hey, you know, we learned something here. You know, this isn't, uh, this is a, a moment in time. Um, this isn't going to, uh, this isn't something that's going to dehabilitate our business. It genders and, and fosters that environment of, hey, I can try things. And, uh, and as long as I kind of remain true to our values, as long as I remain true to our virtues and our strategies, and I kind of operate within our brand, then I, I have the backing and support of my leadership. Right. And that, that seems to be one of the most important things for people. 
some amazing principles there and clearly encouraging to know that 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 your business protects its team like that that's clearly how you develop a good culture and good work ethic and you get the best out of the best people right mm-hmm. you you were talking about unplanned scenarios where you have to talk to the masses and protect and um pivot and communicate when there's things out of your um control how do you work in in your control where you are launching um, a product or, or a feature and it's day and date and it's around the world and there's all of the other political tactical cultural language nuances that need to be managed and measured and communicated how, how do you do that at speed how do you figure that into your workflow I think that there's a couple of elements that work for us and to be quite honest is uh, as our business had continued to grow and scale we've definitely learned a lot in this space. The, the organization that I joined is significantly larger today than it was eight years ago when I first uh, joined Microsoft Advertising. One is, is that we do have the benefit of working for, we're a division in a large company. <clears throat> and so we've learned a lot from our traditional commercial teams in terms of how they operate at scale. And I realize that not every person who may be listening to this has the benefit of that, but You know, I'd say if you do, whether it's other folks inside your company at large or whether or not it's peers that you may network with at a virtual or physical event, it's great to learn from people. Second has been, you know, we definitely work for a large technology company and maybe this is related to first, but how do we use the tools that we have? Things like Microsoft Teams have proven invaluable in our ability to collaborate real time, to respond quickly, to keep individuals informed, um, and to run, you know, our various teams. And so what tools are at your disposal, even if your company doesn't make those tools, you know, um, oftentimes your company is licensing a bunch of software capabilities and are you getting the most out of them? And do you have gaps that you need to fill? And then third, I would say is just setting the agenda in terms of how you want to run, um, you know, these initiatives and ensuring that there is clarity in communication, there's alignment around what success looks like, and there's an understanding of what the operating model is going to look like or how it's going to be run. We do everything from small group teams that, that operate very nimbly to, you know, in the case of our kind of global brand marketing campaign, we use an arbiter model. Each market or region has an individual that's responsible for the execution of that campaign in their market or region. We have a set of arbiters that get together under the campaign strategy and execution lead and the operations leads and they work through everything from, you know, all aspects of go to market, including the editorial calendar, content creation, et cetera, et cetera. And then those arbiters are empowered to go and to ensure that there is execution in their markets. One of the secret sauces, I would say, that has been a learning that has come over time, but that we're really 
just finding our stride in is that oftentimes in big companies, you think of the global to local model, which is how are you building content globally, sending it locally for localization and then executing in market. We've pivoted to what we're calling a global model, which is to say that there is a, an abundance of ideas and innovations that happen at a local level that would be um, great for global execution. So how do we pull not just those learnings in, in terms of how they're executing, but content and innovative execution ideas, um, new models in, evaluate those at the global level, and then repackage and disseminate those. So it really is a two-way value exchange. Very encouraging that uh, a company like Microsoft is focusing on the local and the nuance. Clearly bodes well for our small place in the tech market <laughs> with our product that's there to be creating efficiency and, and speed. So I am encouraged. Um, John, this has been amazing, and I think we already need to book you in for a volume two. Just before we wrap up, just looking ahead, lots of people are predicting a whole range of changes in the world, um, post-COVID world, when that is, what that is, we don't know. Clearly a world in which Microsoft is in a really strong place. We are dependent now more than ever on software-like teams. What are the upcoming trends and innovations that you see or predict that might help shape that future? Boy, there's a lot of them. Um, but let me see if I can boil it down to maybe three. So first, I think trust will continue to redefine the media and marketing landscape led by some of the largest um, names in technology, including Microsoft. Certainly what we're seeing as an example with privacy on the ad platform side with IDFA and the deprecation of third-party cookies and likely cookies overall, as well as on the regulatory side are just, you know, one example of that um, idea in, a, in an advertising context. The second is that brands will continue to redefine themselves. Um, we'd kind of touched on this earlier, but to build a relationship with their customers that's founded on greater values alignment will continue to reshape the kind of brand agenda I would say, over the coming year or two. I think that as uh, Gen Z and, and the next generation move into the workforce, as they're just starting to, it'll only accelerate that trend as they make you know, more decisions based upon values alignment than we'll call it just feature level value proposition. The third is, is that new consumer behaviors as a result of COVID will continue to endure. The pace of technology acceleration, oftentimes known as you know, digital transformation, continues to change how consumers can do just about everything and their expectations will continue to elevate as a result. And so must brands if they wanna to continue to meet those expectations. I think that um, buy online and, and pick up in store is a trend that, you know, is not going to go away post-COVID. The expectation that you can do everything on your phone or on your computer, not just in store, will continue to 
elevate those expectations. Consumers will continue to look, you know, are, are interested in supporting local businesses. And so how you, um, how you elevate your business model to adapt to those, I think will be critical for the long-term health um, of businesses. So maybe three more uh, macro level trends. Love it. I think certainly the trend of shopping online and home delivery is on course. We, we now know our delivery driver by first name. <laughs> um, John, this has been phenomenal. It's been brilliant. It's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you, to hear your insights, explore your experiences at Microsoft and brand marketing. I know how busy you are. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's been a, a real pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we've got more great guests lined up from the world of marketing and entertainment and brands. But in the meantime, from myself, Anna, and of course, everyone at Think Jam, this has been Jam Sessions. Thank you.